wow, we are so lucky to have these jobs. And everyone looks at us like, wow, your job is amazing. And so the fact that I was unhappy, I was like, am I ungrateful? Like so many other girls, yes, would love to have this job. So why am I so unhappy? Why do I feel unfulfilled? And also like this was my dream job. Really, really, truly was like I gave all of myself to that job. But just because something is your dream doesn't mean it's meant to last forever. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Well, That Was Unexpected. I'm your host, Carla Isabel Carstens, but you can call me Carla. I'm a luxury fashion publicist turned marketing consultant and a creative industry career coach. I've helped my clients pivot from finance to fashion, fashion to tech, get jobs with brands and companies like Louis Vuitton, Michael Kors, Saks Fifth Avenue, and Estee Lauder, land speaking gigs at South by Southwest, and so much more. If you can't tell, I believe that life's too short to do just one thing. I'll help you transform your what ifs into what's next. With new episodes launching every Thursday, each episode is designed to make you both laugh and inspire the confidence within you to expand the possibilities for your own life. They'll feature conversations with guests who've made real, raw, and inspiring career and lifestyle pivots that will make you think, what? How did they do that? But once you listen to their stories, sharing exactly how they made things happen, you'll realize just how possible it is for you to make a similar change, no trust fund required. Hey all, welcome back. Today you'll hear from Chrissy Rutherford, who left her role as Special Projects Director of Talent and Social at Harper's Bazaar to focus full-time on content creation, writing, and brand consulting. If you've ever wondered what it'd be like to work at a fashion magazine or be a full-time content creator, you'll definitely want to listen to this episode. We chat about how she snagged her job at Bazaar, her advice for people who want to work in fashion editorial, the upside of living with your parents, astrology, how to successfully DM a potential employer, and tips on how to jumpstart your career as a content creator. Chrissy, it's so great to have you on Well, That Was Unexpected. I'm so excited to share your story. We've gone way back. We met through our careers, and I'm just excited to have you share your story. I'm so excited to be here. I mean, when you first, like, originally, you sent me, like, a very formal pitch. I'm like, girl, you don't even need to write all that. Like, I'm in. You're the best. So... We met when you were an editor at Harper's Bazaar, and I think you were mainly covering parties as well as doing fashion coverage. And I actually remember the first time beyond work stuff, we had this really fun dinner outside at some random restaurant in Flatiron that actually still is open. I think it's called Brio. But yes. Wow. Good memory. Thank you. How did you end up in that job? So I always knew I wanted to work in magazines. Like there was not a doubt in my mind. I was always obsessed with reading them in my free time. I would literally like study magazines. Like I kid you not, read them from cover to cover, 
I also had a friend, shout out to Julia Chesky, who like whenever we would get new magazines in the mail, we would literally be on the phone and go through them page by page and discuss the ads, the editorials, the well features, everything like this. We studied them, truly. And this is in college. This was like a high school going into college. Oh my gosh, that's yes. insane. Okay, you were. I feel like starting around like fifteen, sixteen, we were we got into this routine of always like discussing and dissecting every like luxury fashion magazine. And so, yeah, by the time I got to college, I was a communication major, and you know, I wanted to study something broad that I knew I could like sort of do anything with it. But fashion was my path, so. I got an internship during the summer of what going into my junior year at Harper's Bazaar. And I got that internship actually because of my dad. And I know what it sounds like, obviously, but my dad actually works at a interior decorating company that works on like commercial spaces. My dad is a painter, like not the fancy art kind. He is a painter. And his company worked with Hearst a lot. And because my dad is who he is, he would always like, you know, talk to people in the offices and make friends with the editors. He would sometimes like do side projects, like working on their homes and stuff like that or their apartments. And so when I was ready for an internship, my dad, I don't know, spoke to someone and they agreed to meet with me. I think it was an editor at Good Housekeeping. And then she referred me to HR and they were like, okay, what magazine do you want to work for or like intern for? And I said Harper's Bazaar because that was just always my favorite. And what was your day-to-day like when you were interning there? The very typical like just running errands, picking up and dropping off samples, checking in the samples. I think, you know, very quickly into my time there, I kind of got assigned that like star intern role. So I remember there was a period where actually they like wouldn't even let me leave the office. Like I was kind of the one who had to like oversee and make sure that like the samples were coming in, trunks were being packed, like helping work on the carne if it was going, you know, overseas and all of that. Okay. And then from there, how did, was Harper's your first job out of college? Bazaar was not my first job out of college. I think a lot of people think that it was. Oh. And, uh, and I also did two summer internships there. So my okay. junior and senior year, I interned there. And actually, I also did like a week between, during the like winter break, because I grew up in Westchester and I'm an hour outside the city. So it was easy for me to do that. No. So I graduated from college in 2008. I came out of school feeling very confident that I was going to be able to get a great job. I kept in touch with the editors I interned for. You know, I remember before even going back for my senior year, they were like, can't you just skip college and like work here? Because they were actually hiring for a fashion assistant. And sometimes I think how funny that would have been, like, had I not gone and finished my degree and just started working there, I would have gotten laid off a year later because then the recession hit and people were getting laid off from, you know, magazines, the whole industry, many other industries. And so suddenly my job prospects were looking a bit, you know, gloomier than I than I imagined. 
But my first job out of college was working at this multi-label showroom called CD Network. They did the sales for a lot of like European contemporary brands. And I was a sales assistant there. And so I would work there during the like market period in which the buyers are coming in to buy for the next season. And it wasn't what I envisioned myself doing, but, you know, it was a freelance job. They paid really well. And it was also such a cool opportunity to see another area of the industry. Like buyers were coming in from Bergdorf's, Nordstrom, and all these luxury boutiques all over the world. So actually like getting the opportunity to see how much like an editor needs to understand their reader and yeah and who's reading their magazine like these buyers also really needed to understand their customer and so I always just thought it was so cool when a buyer would be like oh yeah like my customer doesn't wear pants and just seeing that they had this understanding of you know and being able to really see what people were going to want to buy that following season and then how did you then over to Harper's? So I still, it was a long road. You know, I, I feel for anyone who's been trying to get a job these last several years, because I'm sure much like myself probably faced a lot of delays and having to really like trust the process and, and trust that like, you're going to get to where you want to go because I absolutely lived through that. My first job back in editorial came I mean I guess it would it was probably about a year and a half after I graduated and luckily I grew up again in Westchester County an hour outside the city so I had the good fortune of being able to stay and live at my parents house but still be able to commute into the city for interviews or for these little freelance gigs and funny enough (laughs) one night I was going out with my friends in the city And I saw an editor that I had worked for while I was at Bazaar and who I always had like a good rapport with. And so I went up to him and said, hi. And I was like, I still don't have a job. And and he was like, "Okay, like, you know, I think it was like August. So he was like, you know, we're about to go into the fashion month season, but send me a resume. And he's like, I'll reach out, you know, after everything's wrapped up and like, let's talk. And so. I sent in my resume. We ended up talking, I think, by that October, November. And he was, at that time, he was the fashion director for InStyle.com. So he brought me in for an interview. He was going to be working on this little side project that InStyle was launching, which I think turned out to be shop style, that like shopping aggregator. So I helped do a lot of the research for that. And then when that project kind of came to a standstill, then I started contributing to the website. And I was working really closely with the fashion news editor there who ended up going to takeoverbizarre.com. And so that's how I got from InStyle to Bizarre. But that also was not linear because my time at InStyle was... I was like a full-time freelancer and they had a cap on how many hours you could work there. They got me like an extension once. So I ended up being there about a year, but then I had to leave. And, you know, everyone was trying to help me find another job. I think I I assisted a few stylists. That was really hard. I was not cut out for that work by any stretch of the imagination. 
Styling is such grunt work. I don't think people understand. They, you have no idea. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm a hard worker. I'm not meant to work that hard. I'm not meant to work that hard. It's the the schlepping, like carrying, running around the city, carrying the garment bags, the shopping bags. Like, it's just, it's it's really hard. It's really, really hard. It's like you have to work out to to have those jobs. Like you see that on some job listings, they'll say, must be able to lift 25 pounds. Seriously. You really have to in this job, yet they don't list that. (laughs) I got to work on a music video. I worked on like a young Hollywood shoot for Nylon. And I did like a commercial, like a few commercial jobs with Lee Silas. But it was it was really hard. And then I ended up getting a like full-time freelance job at Cosmo as a fashion assistant. So I was like, okay, great. I'm back in Hearst. So that's great. Cosmo was not where I imagined myself working, but was a foot back in the door. It ended up being the most toxic work environment I've ever been in. I wrote a story about this for my newsletter, Forward Joy. We can get into that later. But yes. I had to leave after three months because I was so stressed out. I couldn't eat. I was I lost like 10 pounds before I left there because of the stress. Uh. And they just didn't treat me that nicely. So I was like, I got I to gotta get up out of here. Like, it's not worth my mental health because... My doctor literally had to prescribe me Xanax. If to, you like, to go on medication to get through your job, it, to work, uh, you got to go. You got to go. So I left, and then again, I ended up, I ended up getting another freelance job, working from home, doing shopping stories for a site that I believe is now defunct. It was called Fashion Etc. Like FashionETC.com. An editor that was like at L, I think, had was running it. And yeah, I got connected again. Like all of these jobs, though, were like coming through connections that I had already through interning or through the little jobs that I did have. Mm -hmm. And so then, yeah, I started doing shopping stories for them. Like I think I did like two a week somehow was like living off of that. And then finally, the editor that I had worked with at InStyle.com, Joanne King, she called me and was like, what are you doing? Do you want to come freelance at Bazaar for like two months? And I was like, yes. And two months turned into eight and a half years. Oh, my gosh. You know, I think what's really interesting about your story, and it's something I talk about with my clients, that even if you do everything right in terms of like interning at the right places, at the capacity that you want to work with post-grad, it unfortunately doesn't guarantee an outcome. And I had a very similar experience to you that like I interned, I think, 14 different places. Wow. I did all the right things. I had yeah. the Gucci on my resume. I worked at Jane Magazine in the fashion closet. And I didn't get a fashion job out of college, but there's something about making strategic decisions in choosing jobs that aren't necessarily perfect, mm-hmm. but you know that they're ultimately going to help you get to where you want to go. Yep. And being proactive enough to keep in contact with the people who you know you worked hard for, 
Yeah. They've expressed their desire to help you, but mm-hmm. it's on you to make sure that they're keeping you in mind. They're busy people. Yeah. It's Ab- absolutely. And I, you know, it's hard, like, cause it is a fine line, right? Like you want to stay in touch, but you don't want to be annoying. And, absolutely. and I don't necessarily know how to navigate that, but somehow I did. And Listen, I think much like anything in life, like, yes, you can be a really hard worker. And as you said, like, have all the right internships. There's a lot of luck that plays into this. So much. Truly is. So describe what you're doing now. So, so yes, obviously (laughs) it's been like almost a decade at Bazaar where I did everything from covering parties. As you said, I was a fashion editor. I would style things. I went on TV. I was running at the Instagram account. I was literally like the poster child for like jack of all trades. And in some ways that made me feel really confused about what to do next because I just felt like I always had my hand in so many different buckets. And people would be like, well, what do you really you know, enjoy doing the most. And I'm like, I don't know, because I've never spent like much time doing just like any one thing. So I don't know. And, you know, I left Bazaar six weeks before the pandemic hit, which was just really strange timing, but really for the best, because it gave me time to just like decompress from working at such a level. Like, I don't think people really understand like the grind of being a content creator at that level of, you know, working for a luxury magazine. You know, our traffic was insane. We were hitting like between 20, 25 million unique visitors like a month towards the end there. Like it was really intense. And not to say, we didn't necessarily have like those quotas of like, oh, you have to bang out like five stories a day or at least. Yeah, we didn't have that. And I definitely didn't have a job that required me to do that. But it's this idea that you just always have to be creating. You always need to have a new idea. You need to be thinking about what people want to read, what they want to see. You know, how can you continue to just like one up yourself? That's really what it is. It's like, how do we best ourselves like month after month after month after month? And there is no stopping. Like I did that for eight and a half years. (laughs) It was time. So yeah, having, having like, I think I had about like four months where I wasn't really working. I was loving it. Like I was, you know, stuck inside the house like everyone else, like not needing to be anywhere, do anything. And I wasn't I wasn't doing anything. I kind of just like let myself be. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, well, what does my future really look like? Because while I was at Bazaar, of course, I was I had built up a little bit of an Instagram following for myself. So that was kind of my cushion. Like, okay. I know that I this is a tool for me to continue to use. I know that I can make some money to hopefully like keep me afloat on there. But but like what else am I doing with my life? I don't want to just be someone who takes pictures and posts them online. I don't. And you know, I started I listen, I'm very 
Welcome to the woo-woo portion of this podcast. I'm, you know, really into astrology, tarot, lots of different spiritual practices and have been for a really long time. So I always like record any reading that I have. And so I started going back to like my first birth chart reading and listening to what my astrologer said, because I think there are so many clues in there about what we're really meant to do with our lives. And even from like my very first tarot reading, my tarot reader told me that I was meant to be a teacher. And I'm like, that doesn't really track for me at all at the time. And he would always say it like over several years, like would come up that like I was meant to be a teacher or create a guide or something like that. And, and I'm like, you know, OK, sure. I'll keep that in the back of my mind. Thanks. And then, <laughs> you know, I'm like, sure. Um, but yeah, I, I started to think about like, what do I really enjoy doing with my life and what would I want to do even if I wasn't getting paid for it? But like that was like the key that was like, well, I really like having conver like deep conversations with people like that. I just feel like is really like inherent to who I am as a person. I'm always having conversations about like life and love and career and and on a very deep level. I've been in therapy since I was 13, basically, because I've had anxiety issues. And so, you know, doing like emotional excavation has always been part of who I am. And so I started like fleshing out, well, if I could have conversations with people, what would I want to talk to them about? Who do I who do I want to talk to about these things? And I just like started fleshing out this like guest list that I thought, okay, this could be a podcast, but also I'm so not a technical person on that level. And I kind of just like had that on the back burner. Then by May of 2020, I made a video on Instagram that ended up going viral where I was talking about why I felt that it was important for people to speak up about racism, like regardless of how many followers you have, because whether you have a million followers or you have 250 followers, we are all part of a community. And I think it at the time where, you know, we saw Breonna Taylor be murdered, George Floyd, not enough people were saying things. And I just feel like if you are someone who can turn a blind eye to that, like you're basically telling people that you don't care. And so, yeah, that ended up going viral unexpectedly. And within like, I don't know, two and a half days, it had like five million views. And I saw my Instagram following double legitimately in the span of a weekend. I posted it on, on like a Friday evening. My Instagram following doubled and and then a friend of mine, Danielle Prescott, who's also a former editor, she also posted a video about racism that ended up going viral. And she and I were kind of just keeping in touch because we had suddenly a lot of people like reaching out to us, asking us for advice. And we ended up joining forces by Blackout Tuesday. Like all these brands were obviously getting called out online. And because we both have worked in the industry for a long time and we've made name names for ourselves, a lot of brands were reaching out to us, influencers. And so we decided to join forces and we created a diversity and inclusion consulting company like out of thin air. And which was really crazy. And, you know, this is another thing. And I 
I think also sort of like speaks to luck, but we just never know where our lives are going. You know, like if it hadn't been for the general climate of what was going on at the time, like maybe I never would have made that video. And then, you know, you're just like, what, what could have happened? I don't know. All these all these things were happening and I just happened to meet the moment of what was going on. And because the funny thing is I actually like when I was planning to leave Bazaar, I have been brainstorming with some friends of like mentors, other people who had been in my similar position and left editorial about like, what could I do next? And I did have diversity consulting on that list. But and I remember I was supposed to meet with this contact that I had at CFDA because I wanted to talk to her about it. And it never ended up happening. This was probably like late 2019. And then after seeing what happened in June of 2020, I was like, while it was a great idea, I don't think it would have ever worked. I don't think anyone had would have ever been interested in it because up until then, the industry was very much convinced that, they're, that they didn't have a problem with racism because they there is this idea that, well, if you're not actually inflicting harm, then you're fine. But it's like, no, but you're not actually doing anything to even acknowledge, address, or help the issue. Mm -hmm. That's very much present and people have been talking about since the beginning of time. So yeah, all of that was happening. And then of course, because of Blackout Tuesday and brands realizing that they didn't really work with that many content creators of color, then a lot of brands also started coming my way. Like I had already, of course, been partnering with brands, but there was definitely like an uptick of even brands just wanting to like send me gifting, but definitely on the partnership. end. and yeah, I think because I've had a long career in the industry and then because of this video that I had put in and then people started looking at me like a real authority. Mm hmm. OK. And I know you had shared with myself, but also with your followers that in this process, when you, you decided you quit Bazaar and you were going to do your own thing, COVID was kind of starting to simmer, but we all really did not know what to expect. Your lease was up and you ended up deciding to move in with your parents. And I actually, you know, because of COVID, I had been going, I was planning on going home to my parents' house for the holidays. And I ended up staying for about two months because it felt like the perfect time to do so. Yeah. And honestly, what did I have to come back to? I was single at the time. They live in the suburbs in Southern California and they have so much more space than I do in my Brooklyn apartment. I have a big dog, so it would also right. be great for her. And as an adult in my mid-30s, I really did treasure this time to connect with them in a different way than as a teen-year-old. Although my intention had been, and I had packed for being there for like two weeks. Of course. And Everything it's, was supposed to go back to normal. Yeah. So it's unique to have this opportunity to live with your parents at the stage of life that you and I are both in because it's you're you're closer to being their equal rather than feeling the same type of like 
suppression, you have like curfews and right. the same rules that you had in high school. I didn't have to lie about what I was doing. You know, it wasn't like I was speaking out to go meet a guy somewhere in Riverside, California in the thick of COVID. And, but I had a full-time job at the time and I had this intention of inevitably I was going to go back to my apartment. But how was that like for you, given that you were embarking on this new stage in your career and you were moving in with them for like an undefined period of time? You know, how was that for you? I think in many ways it felt very safe and took the pressure off me because suddenly I'm like, oh, if I'm at home with my parents and I don't have rent to pay, I don't have to have my life figured out immediately mm-hmm. because that's kind of how I was feeling, especially after I left Bazaar. Literally three days later, I got on a plane and I went to London and I was planning on spending like two and a half months there and knowing that I would come back right before my lease is up and I would hopefully move to like a bigger apartment where I was going to start my great new life. And then here I was moving out and moving to the suburbs. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, I'll just go back to my parents' house until like summer when things are back to normal. Then I'll move back. And I could have done that, of course. But then I was just like, I'm not I'm actually like not in a rush to get back to New York. I think being with my parents. Yeah, as I said, like just felt really safe, even though it it can be incredibly, incredibly difficult to live with parents as an adult. Like, you know, even though you are more equal, but it's like, you know how parents are. Like they're still going to you as a child, like no matter how old you are. And, you know, there's definitely like budding, you know, the budding of heads constantly. But at the end of the day, like I felt really fortunate and I was like, this is a situation that I know I'm never going to like look back and regret the time that I spent with my parents. And like, you know, three, literally three years later, I'm still living at home with my parents. I mean, it's, I, I feel so grateful because if you think about how the amount of time you normally would have seen them oh, versus now, I it's, know it's now a priority that I see them more because right. it was just, it was so wonderful. But you know, given that a lot of my listeners are younger and I hear from a lot of them that there's this shame that they experience, you know, after college when they yeah. graduate that unfortunately they have to move back home. And, you know, you and I are coming from a dis- different perspective. We're older. We're not, you know, 21. Yeah. And is there any perspective you could share with those people who decide to move back in with their parents after graduating college while they're looking for their first job, even just mindset wise, because I hear it a lot that they 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 feel like a failure or that they're not cool because other friends are like living in the Lower East Side or Soho in a cute apartment with a roommate. And it just feels it's not a competition, but it's like, that's what I want for myself. That's what I envision for myself. I know. And I, I hear them because I went through that too. Of course, I was, I still had proximity to the city, so that helped. But I'm like, trust me, once you get that first job and you move to the city and things get going, like you are never going to look back on that time and be like, oh, wow, this like ruined my life or I missed out on, like I never think about that like two year chunk that I 
was still living at home with my parents after college. Like, I just don't. That was just a stepping stone to get to where I needed to be. At least you aren't going into like crazy debt, like trying to live this life that you truly cannot afford yet. Yeah. Like you have so much time. And listen, if you have friends that are living in the city and you're not like take advantage of that. Like I was literally sleeping you know, at my friend's apartments who lived in the city every single weekend. So like I could have that or like, you know, mm-hmm. take a trip to visit your friends who live in bigger cities and have that. But like know that sometimes things just take time and I know it sucks, you know, but it's a blip in time when you look it back. really is. And it's just like it's for the greater good. And only Americans are obsessed with this idea that like if you live at home with your parents, you're a loser. Like, and Seriously. I th- and I think also like now because listen, COVID still exists. You're still in a pandemic, even though the government has declared it over. But I feel like there's actually no more normal time to be living at home with your parents than right now. I don't feel any type of way. I mean, listen, I just turned 37 and I'm literally living at home with my parents. But like, I don't I just don't feel any type of way about it. I'm like, actually, I'm smart because I get to save my money. So exactly. It's why, why, why use credit card debt to facilitate, you know, what your community has deemed appropriate. You know, if anything, it allows you to focus more on your goals. Like, especially if that first job isn't the dream job, you know, you're able to really get shit done yeah and it's something to work for it's something to work towards yeah motivation baby for real this living in the city can be full of distractions i purposely didn't live in cool spot because i was in my first pr job at the time i also was going to school part-time getting a master's Mm -hmm. And I knew I needed to buckle down. And if I lived in Nolita with all my girls, yeah, no. And I still, it's funny, even though I lived in Gramercy, I would still spend a weekend at my, my girlfriend's place so she right. and I could go out to go to Brinkley's and Southside. We're at Brink, oh, Southside, all right. Oh, dude, those were the days. Were, that was really how weird. Is, it's like, how is Q? Where are you, Q, Look, running Q that door like a boss? I mean, nightlife in New York City will never, ever, ever, ever be as good as that era. I mean, I'm so sorry, sad. Sorry, sorry, oh, well. Who lives in New York right now. I yeah. know. So you're living at your parents' place. You're now, you know, experiencing this incredible growth in regards to what you've done with content creation. You have 2VG with Danielle Prescott. What was the next step for you in your career? Because I know this was still very much so a point for you where you were figuring stuff out. So how did you take it to the next level and really lean in into making your, your, frankly, your brand grow? It's a business. You have to treat it like a, a job. I know. It's hard. And I'm not like, I'm such a creative like through and through. Like the business stuff is just so so hard for me. But so back to my days stuck inside my apartment in the beginning of the pandemic when I had fleshed out this list of, you know, conversations I would love to have and 
people I wanted to talk to. So by the fall of 2020, I decided I was going to turn it into a newsletter. I feel like newsletters were kind of like on the rise, but not too many people had them. And I was like, you know what? This makes sense because I do like to write, although I've always like struggled with my confidence in writing, especially like when I was at Bazaar. I feel like, you know, people love to think that like, oh, you know, you must love writing. And I never got into fashion because I wanted to write. That was not what I was trying to do. I wanted to be the person who picked the clothes that went in the magazine. Like that was it. But because I worked on the digital side, you had to write. And I knew I could write because I was, you know, I was like one of those kids in elementary school where my teacher like selected me to like work on a special side project where like I got to make my own book. Like I was always, always really interested in writing. And it took me starting this newsletter to to realize like, oh, you know, I am a good writer, but I only like to write about myself. Like, it's just the truth. Like, I don't I don't want to write about fashion. I just don't think that's like where my skill set is. So I decided I would create this newsletter where I would write personal essays about myself. And then I would also interview people who I thought had an interesting perspective or interesting story to share. And you know, this newsletter is like my pride and fucking joy. Like I really do love working on it, even though it's like it's kind of grueling because I write a lot of really personal things. I've written about what it's like to be an adult living at home with your parents. I've written about being in a toxic work environment. I've interviewed a guy that I was in like on and off situationship for like four years That was like the first I know everyone's like, where'd you get the idea to do that? But honestly, that was one of the first conversations that I knew I wanted to have. I just think the idea of like talking to someone who you were interested in romantically, but it just like never really got off the ground. Many years have passed and it's like, what were you thinking? Like what was going through your head then? And being able to have that conversation was just like so awesome. And I think so many people like found it really therapeutic as well because I did I did so many people like don't get closure and I didn't need closure from him I felt like we actually kind of did have closure because I was like I don't want to do this with you anymore but there was that like question in the back of my mind of like did you actually want to date me like that was the question that I just really really dying to ask So, yeah, it's like things like that. You know, I think that I'm like not to toot my own horn, but toot toot. I think that I'm willing to write about and have a lot of conversations that I think a lot of people aren't willing to have because it's like steeped in shame and embarrassment. And and I know because I've felt that, too, about some of my own stories And so I feel like in writing about it, it helps to set me free. And then in return, I hope that it helps to set a lot of other people free because, yeah, you know, when we hold on to these things that we're insecure about, it only like the power that it has over us like grows. And actually, it's like if you put it out there and you find other people to connect with over it, you're like, actually... This isn't so unique. Other people feel the exact same way. And 
okay, actually, this like is normal and it's not anything to be ashamed of because other people have gone through the same, you know, scenario too. I've written about losing my virginity in my 20s, which was, you know, much later than anyone else that I knew. And, you know, also being single at 37 and I've written about being single at 35, 36, 37, you know, and I've also written about like some minor relationships I've had in since I started writing this newsletter. And, mm-hmm. so, you know, sometimes, yeah, I'm like, why am I sharing all of this? Like, do people really want to know this about me? But the responses that I get from people is truly like what keeps me going and makes me realize that like this is my purpose like it's not even about me it's me being a vessel for these Mm -hmm. conversations and for people to feel seen like that's really what it is and and also I know that because even speaking from like the struggles I've had with anxiety I had my first panic attack when I was like 13 14 years old no 12 13 and I didn't know anyone else that was going through that. Like literally mm-hmm. no one. My parents didn't understand what was going on with me. My friends sure as hell didn't understand. And you just feel really isolated when, you know, I think we all have these experiences where we think like we're the only ones who have ever gone through this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, I, I I learned that in sharing even just the fact that I get I suffer from panic attacks. I'm a really nervous and anxious flyer. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, all these little things that I have and other people being like, oh, my God, I suffer from that, too. I've been through that same experience. You know, it helped me see how normal it is and vice versa. So, yeah, at the end of the day, like I always like to say, we all have stories and we all all deserve and should share them because our stories about like how we've overcome things can be a guide to someone else. Absolutely. And I kind of stole that from, there's a quote from Brene Brown. I actually put it in my newsletter. It's something like that. So I will (laughs) quote, I didn't quote her directly, but that idea came from her. I love her. I know. I, I love her so much. One of my favorite Brene quotes is clarity is kindness. Unclear Mm. is unkind. And I know that's like a little bit left, but I'm she she just drops these knowledge bombs that I'm obsessed with. Um, She's brilliant. And I think, you know, has also really pioneered this movement of like vulnerability is a strength. Like I mm-hmm. know that is my strength and like my gift to the world is that I'm able to be vulnerable and share a lot of personal things that go on in my life. It's your superpower. You know, when I when anytime you you send a newsletter, it just it truly feels like I'm reading a good friend's journal or frankly, overhearing an intimate conversation that two other people have. and it's it's really incredible what you've built. But oh, you know, obviously, things have gone really well. You know, there have been ups and downs, absolutely. Yeah. but have you ever experienced any feelings of regret in the decision to leave stability, i.e. a full-time role, to taking this leap? Oh, well, I think it was also a bit calculated in the sense that, you know, you were smart enough to like start saving money ahead of time. You know, 
I don't know how planned your departure was at Harper's. I know that, you know, when I decided I wanted to leave fashion PR, I decided a year before to yeah. see if how I could really it happen, start saving money, whatever. But to take that leap of faith and betting on yourself as a full-time writer, consultant, content creator, was there nervousness, feelings of like a little bit of regret? Maybe there was none. <laughs> I always laugh when people ask me if I regret my decision because wholeheartedly no, and I never doubted it for a second. Was it a really, really hard decision to make? Yes, absolutely. Like I was in, when I say I was in agony over the decision to leave my job and for like a myriad of reasons, but a big part of it, and I'm sure you kind of experienced this too, is this idea that like, wow, we are so lucky to have these jobs and everyone looks at us like, wow, your job is amazing. And so the fact that I was unhappy, I was like, am I ungrateful? Like so many other girls, yes, would love to have this job. So why am I so unhappy? Why do I feel unfulfilled? And also like, this was my dream job. Really, really, truly was like, I gave all of myself to that job. But just because something is your dream doesn't mean it's meant to last forever. And I think I just got to a point where I was like, this A is not sustainable, like not from a monetary or just like mental health perspective. But also like I knew that I was meant to do more with my life. And yes, having the platform of Bazaar was so incredible. And I feel like I did get to help a lot of people and and help platform a lot of people who deserve to have their stories told. Because like in some ways I'm doing the same thing. It's just, yeah, I have a smaller platform, but I think stories are just still like really incredibly important to me. And yeah, leaving that job was the best thing that I ever did for myself. And I know that to be true because I can just look at what has happened to my life over the last three years. It's phenomenal. It's truly phenomenal. And you just like seem so much happier and oh yeah, like confident. I was, I was complaining all the time when I was an editor. And I also feel like that's part of the culture, like that you just always complain about things. Like this publicist emailed me about this or oh, this publicist won't give me that or oh, this agent is being so annoying. And I'm like, that's not who I am. I'm by nature, I am not a complainer. And, you know, it was just so, I'm like, I need to get away from this. Like, it's yeah, just, it's just so bad. And, you know, like, I miss like creating with a team. Like, I think I was fortunate that I got to be at Bizarre.com at a really fucking special time where it felt like there were no limits to what we could do and what we could create. And you know, being able to do those brainstorms with such a big team and work with some really incredible talent and find amazing talent. Like, I'm just so proud of the work that I did there. I really, really, truly am. Like, we were award-winning. I got nominated for an ASME my, I think my last year there, like Bizarre.com social, but I was running the Instagram account. So what's an ASME? It's the American Society of Magazine Editors. It is basically like the Oscars of the publishing world. That's awesome. the best. 
best way to describe it. Yeah. And in 2019, we were nominated for the social media category. Sadly, we lost to Bon Appetit. But even being recognized for that is just such a huge deal. Like, such totally. a big deal. So, yeah, like, as I said, I'm really, really proud of everything that I accomplished there. As I said, that was my dream job. And I left and I could leave feeling in peace that, like, I did all that I could possibly do there. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for a new chapter. And now I just feel really aligned with what my personal purpose is. Yeah. It, and that's really shining through. And you mentioned a little about this before, but you and I have bonded over the fact that we are both Pisces suns and rising Taurus. Yes. We love but- it. It's great. And Something I've always admired about you is you have a very healthy, rational approach to how astrology fits into your life. Like I, I always joke around that like, just because it's Mercury's in retrograde, I'm not going to not sign a contract. I'm not going to no. buy no. a computer if mine crashes. But how has astrology played a role in your life and and in your personal growth. Yeah, I know. I'm like, if I didn't sign contracts during Mercury retrograde, girl, I wouldn't work for four months out of the year. Exactly. My job is signing contracts and like doing independent work. I will say that during those Mercury retrograde periods, I trust that if something did not come to fruition during that period, I'm like, it it wasn't meant to be. And that's how I am about, uh, that's how I am about it 365 days of the year. But yeah, if it didn't work out, it just wasn't meant to happen. I think astrology is just so amazing for personal growth because I think it just helps you. It doesn't tell you who you are, but I think it helps validate things that you know to be true about yourself. I think it helps you to own what your strengths are. Because I think a lot of times we get caught up in like, God, I'm shitty at this. Or why does Mm -hmm. this part of my life never seem to work? And I have those areas of my life, like relationships. And guess what? I'm like, I have Saturn in my seventh house. And that denotes like delays in, in relationships and partnerships. And so for me, that helps me to like let go of my grip and know that like, listen, this is meant to be. It's just I have my own timing. That's another thing is like, it helps you understand that we all have different timing in our life when it comes to anything. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it also like, you know, we all have these like perceived weaknesses. And I think astrology helps you to see it as, oh, this is actually just something that I'm meant to like learn more about. Like this is a challenge that I'm supposed to work through like in this lifetime. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. Like we all come here with lessons to learn. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost a mechanism to prod a little bit deeper in areas that you may not have necessarily thought to. It, yeah, at least that's my experience. I've, I, you know, I love tarot. I love astrology. I actually I spoke to my tarot reader last night. She's incredible. Oh, Shout out to Ra. You're amazing and. Another thing, and this is going to be like a little random, but (laughs) as I was attempting to channel like my inner ex-publicist setting up this interview with you, 
Mm. You connected me with your assistant, Danielle, to help schedule everything. She's freaking amazing. Shout out to Danielle. And I was even more impressed after I found out from you that she cold emailed you about working together. You hadn't posted a job description. You weren't putting it out there on Instagram that you were actively looking for support, even though you needed it. Yes, desperately. What made her stand out? So it's interesting because she was actually one of three people that cold emailed me around that time. And so I love when people just reach out to me. I also think, again, like from who I sort of know myself to be and and how I trust the energy works for me is that like the people that I meant to work with, like they find me. Same thing happened with my manager. Like they just do. They always come to me. So, you know, I interviewed all three girls and Danielle just stood out to me right away because, first of all, she didn't have a fashion background, which I thought was really interesting. And and she was working more in digital marketing. So I liked that she had more of like a business sense. But when we talked, she told me that her dream was like, to be a founder's right hand and help them grow their business. I was like, what? Like, she doesn't want to be an influencer. She doesn't want to be in the spotlight. And she just came across as someone who is like very capable and organized, type A. We love it. And like, I had no doubt in my mind from our first meeting that I was like, this is the one. Do you remember even just like, not the exact message, but do you remember kind of what she wrote to you on Instagram? She said to me, well, she was going to be relocating to London. So I think that's also a big reason why she reached out to me because I was living in London at the time. And I'm kind of just back and forth. But yeah, she said to me, I'm like, I hope it's okay to read. I mean, it's nothing bad, but she was just, she was basically like, you know, I really like your brand and everything you stand for and represent. And I was hoping like you might be potentially looking for an assistant in any capacity. She's like, I have six years experience working in social, digital and influencer marketing. And she's like, I'm really looking to take, you know, the next step and work for a person or a brand that really aligns with my passion, which is fashion, music, fitness, lifestyle and really represents the modern day entrepreneur. And I was like, see, listeners, it is possible to slide into the DMs in a professional manner because you know what message would not have gotten answered? Hey, are you looking for an assistant or an intern? Yeah, you're like, huh? What? Huh? This girl pitched herself in a very concise manner coming from a place of, this is how I can support you. And also sharing that she she's a real, you know, she's an advocate for what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's what a beautiful message. So it really was. And she actually contacted me through like oh, like one of my websites. So it's like I couldn't see like there was no resume, no nothing, but like the message was just so like genuine Stop. and sincere that I was like, okay, well, I gotta at least talk to her. Yeah. I mean, so I take back the DM, but hey, yeah. you could yeah, put that right, in a yeah. DM. I will say yeah, that. If someone DM'd, yeah. If someone DMs that to me, because listen, not you can't always like contact people via email. So yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry. I think if someone wrote me a DM that felt 
you know, somewhat professional, like, like that, you know, I would be like, okay, here's my email. Send me your resume. Totally. I do think trying all the approaches is the smartest way to go about it, truthfully, just because you get a lot of DMs. So she was smart enough to go, I'm assuming, to the Forward Joy website or maybe your your professional website. Yeah, either one. So, you know, trying all the different angles. But the lesson here is if you're proactively chasing something, especially trying to work with somebody of influence notoriety put yourself out there but you have you have to pitch yourself yeah i just also want to say because you know i think in today's world like i feel like a lot of the kids that are coming up like are in this space where they feel like they need to be told exactly what to do like could you imagine like when we were coming up and we had no instagram no nothing to contact like the people that we looked up to we were like just like trolling the Ed 2010 board. Oh my gosh. Okay. Ed every 2010. Day. I forgot or, about Ed 2010. Or like you're searching for some, like an email. So I sent so many cold emails. Like you just, you just got to take initiative. Like if you want something, you need to go after it. You just do. Seriously. And, but also being thoughtful in your messaging. Like, Finding the contact is half the battle, but then telling them how you would be helpful to them in respect to the job you're hoping to have is key in this. They shouldn't have to, they're not going to try to figure that out on your behalf. You need to tell them. Yep. It's so important. But You've already provided a lot of actionable advice, and we love actionable advice on this podcast, but what are three, two or three tips that you could give our listeners who are starting out as content creator creators in today's social media landscape? I actually get a lot of clients who are pursuing a similar path of your, to yours that they have a full-time job, but... Mm-hmm. They're also interested in growing their social media following. So what are some what are some tips that you could give somebody listening to to really help start that journey as a content creator? I think you really just you have to like do it, right? You just need to be creating and posting regularly. And listen, that's a struggle even for me. But you know. But if it's something that you really want to do and you're starting from scratch, like you got to be regular. You got to be posting every day. It's like, do you need to have a niche? No, I don't think you necessarily have to have a niche. Like, I don't think that I have a niche. I talk about like a lot of different things. And actually, I pride myself on being able to talk about a lot of different things. Like, sure, there are sort of like buckets. Like, yes, I love mental health. I love fashion. I love spirituality, astrology all of these different things, music, but just share like who you are and what makes you you. Please don't look at what this person's doing, what that person's sharing like that. You know, actually a friend of mine asked me a couple of weeks ago, she was like, who do you think is most similar to you in terms of like creator, what they talk about, that a brand would look at you and this other person and try to like decide between you two. 
And I was like, no one. And I don't and I don't even mean it in a sense of like, oh, I'm so unique. It's just like I'm me. And sure, there are a lot of other like black girls that are in fashion. There's a lot of other black girls that talk about mental health or but. I'm just such a firm believer that like no one is like me. And that's what makes me me. And that's what makes someone else like, you know, someone else has their own thing. And I just I'm not going to like get caught up in this comparison trap. That's really good advice. And frankly, it's it's true because you don't even know what you're going to post tomorrow necessarily because you don't know what tomorrow brings. And it might be interesting to you. You know, it's and and that's something I really love about you. Like you'll post about relationships, but it's not like your mandate every week. Hoof, gotta post one thing about relationships this week. It's like you're you're allowing us to go so on this journey. Yeah, I'm really yeah, I'm I think in general I'm very intuitive about how I create content. And I don't necessarily would say that that's a good thing because consistency wins on these apps. And that is something that I actually really struggle with. And I think a lot of creatives struggle with because we're more like, oh, we're going to wait for the mood to strike us and not like this is my job. And actually, I need to be like creating consistent output. So, you know, but at the same time, it's like, well, I have a lot of different outlets, so I can't be creating every single day on every single outlet. That's just not gonna do it for me no. i just can't i can't operate like that so, so you much have to work out what you have to figure out like what works for you but again like as i said if you're someone who's like starting from scratch and you're trying to build a name for yourself like yeah i do think consistency is really important i think being nimble like obviously there's so many changes on these apps constantly it's like the reels and what are the trending audios and what are the trending this and the transitions and the you know just like oh the gallery posts now and like I like I don't know I it it exhausts me but to a certain extent it's like what worked for you last year might not work for you today and I'm even struggling with that you know and mm-hmm. kind of taking a look at a lot of my content lately and it's actually been and I like yeah this is the first time like I'll really share this publicly but you know, I've kind of come to realize lately that I'm like, me just posting fashion content like on Instagram, like on say on my feed, like mm-hmm. isn't really doing it for me. Like not in terms of growth, not in terms of like I feel like I'm putting out something like of value. And the like the engagement is low. And when I look at actually like what performs the best for me, guess what it is? It's any post where I share something really personal or vulnerable, talking about therapy or, you know, my experience of living at home with my family. Like those are the moments that people really, really connect to. So I'm like, why am I not creating more of that on my Instagram? And it's also and honestly, sometimes it's because I'm lazy because getting a little fit pick off takes five minutes. It's like, yeah. And so easy. It's so, so easy. But I'm like, actually, I don't think this really serves me anymore. Yeah. If it's not making you happy, as you know, you know, you are at a point in your career where, you know, you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram. I don't know where else you are. I follow you on both. But would you suggest that they go and focus on one channel versus all or 
what what would well, your thought? I think you have to diversify and I do think you kind of have to give different content to different audiences. I think mm-hmm. you can still cross over to a certain extent because like I, I really feel like most of my Instagram following is not on TikTok. Like those people like don't even have the app on their phone. Gosh. Or just don't care about it, you know? I know. So, like, yeah, there are things that I post on Instagram that I think I can post on TikTok and it's brand new. But I do think because TikTok just feels so like free, I do create content on there that I do not create on Instagram. Like I'll do like vlog style videos and I actually think they're really fun. They t- they're a lot of work sometimes, but like I wouldn't really post that on Instagram. Yeah, it it like wouldn't hit the same. Yeah, it doesn't hit the same. Yeah, I admittedly, I have TikTok on my phone. I think I open it once every three weeks. One of my my friends, I know, one of my friends, she had been telling me for when TikTok really just started hitting, she's like, you need to get on there and start posting career coaching content. And I was like, oh, the kids uh, would love it. The kids would love it. Yeah, but this is before career coaches were hitting on there. Then there was this huge New York Times article like a year later and she sent it to me and says, she calls me, he goes, told you so and hung up. I was like, ah, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to be better. But thank you so much for for everything and for, for, for your time, for your energy, for your candor. Guys, if you want to find Chrissy on Instagram, her handle is Chrissy Ford. I'm also going to put it in the show notes. Her newsletter, Forward Joy, it's fwdjoy.com. Chrissy, what's your TikTok? It's Chrissy Ford also. I'm consistent on all platforms, Twitter, like everything. Tweet her, DM her, all the things. Twitter is still the best social media platform of all. Oh, I I love Twitter. I go hard on Twitter. I know. I'm private on there now, though, which is like kind of fun to just like have something that doesn't feel like the whole world needs to partake in it. Yeah, it's yours. Yeah, it's yours. But thank you so much. And listeners, I hope you enjoy and we'll talk soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.